for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> the man whose three inspired the Curry family. I don't exaggerate, I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Goes airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Thank you, Smith, your host here. Uh, as always, we're looking around the league, keeping an eyeball on things that are going on. We visited with all of our NBA.com writers stashed across the country. Sean Powell out west in Los Angeles. Michael C. Wright in Texas. John Schumann, as you know, is based in New York. Now we get our Midwest correspondent, the great Steve Ashburner here, just to talk a little bit about the Bucks and what he's seen so far this season. Very interesting insights from Ash on not only the Bucks in the Central Division, but also the New York Knicks and all the drama they have going on. Check it out. Nobody does it quite like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. <laughs> we'll take it in. He's a one-man wrecking crew. Oh, my goodness. Wow. He's incredible. There's no doubt about it. Must-see TV. And here comes Showtime. Antetokounmpo with the hammer. Yes! Oh, man. It is not right, some of the things that he can do on the floor. I mean, we are seeing the future, the future of the NBA. Great crossover, and Giannis, and one. Giannis has been the most dominant player in the league. The best player on the best team. He believes that he's the best player in the game. Over 26 points, 12 rebounds, and almost six assists. The last time that's been done, it was done by another Milwaukee Buck great. By the name of Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Two on one. Three, three, flush. The 2019 Kia NBA Most Valuable Player goes to Giannis Satetokounmpo. My goal is to win a championship and we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. It's eye opening to see a dude that big to do the stuff he does on the court because he affects the game offensively, defensively. Well, he's kind of the antithesis of what's going on in this league right now. He plays the traditional old school way. You know, keep believing in yourself, keep believing in your dreams, work hard every day. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. As long as you stay focused, you're going to achieve your goals in life. He certainly has brought back Milwaukee Bucks basketball. The versatility that he displays, the way he fills up the box every night. For the first time since 2013, Sports Illustrated ranked someone other than LeBron James as their number one player in the NBA. And finishes ferociously, puts the foul. The reigning MVP as the favorite going into the season. Can he win another one? As long as I keep working hard and uh, keep believing in myself, I think I want to get better. Ash. Hey, hi. How are you? What's up, sir? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Always good to talk to you, my man. Um, it, it's been an eventful season already through 10, 11 games for a lot of teams in in your area. Uh, the Bucks, obviously being the most interesting. The Chris Middleton injury now being a factor. But Giannis is playing like gangbusters, you know, a great encore for him. Are they the – do you – tend to notice the same type of vibe from the Bucks. Is there anything different, or is it just back to the grindstone for them? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. I, um, uh, I, I, it's, less, it's less a vibe about their X's and O's and their basketball than it is maybe, um, I, I don't know, I look at a little bit of their potential. I mean, they, they're, they're playing essentially the same way. They've got some different pieces now. They've got a, a little bit more of a veteran um, uh, 
feel to them with Corver, Kyle Corver, and uh, Wesley Matthews and Robin Lopez uh, added to the mix from last year. The the biggest, um, you know, uh, departure. Malcolm Brogdon has been terrific for the for the Pacers, and and I still think that over the long haul, um, Milwaukee is going to miss Brogdon. Now, I, I don't mean just simply for his, you know, that vaunted 50, 40, 90 shooting that had him right. up there, you know, among eight or nine all-time great types. Um, I, I just don't know how replicable that was, but I just, to me, Brogdon was a guy who, for a minute or two in almost every close game I covered uh, that they played, he could assert himself at both ends and, and often was sort of the pivot point in, in a game like that. And, and I just want to see who emerges. If there's any one guy, if they've got to do it, you know, collectively. I mean, when you have Giannis on your side, I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a uh, start. Um, you know, and the, and the thing about him is, is, is his minutes are not crazy. Um, You'd say, well, a guy like that has to carry too big of a load, but overusing him, he's he's um, what is he averaging? He's just a one minute more per game, not even a minute, a fraction of a minute more, and that's the kind of number that would taper down, I think, over time too. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're I think they're a co-favorite in the in the East with um, Philadelphia, at least in my opinion. But um, mm -hmm. it's a long it's a long haul to get all the way back to win those four extra games in late May to get yourself to the finals. And, and that really, I think, is, is the goal they have. Ash, I, I just thought about it. You, you've got an interesting perspective in that. You've watched up close and personal the evolution of a, a transcendent young big man in this league. You, you know, you there for Kevin Garnett's rise in Minnesota in, in his evolution as a great player. And then I look at Giannis, and certainly not – the same circumstances by any measure in terms of eras that they broke into the league and, and even style of play. But is there a common thread with a guy, you know, Garnett certainly was not guaranteed for, for huge stardom in the NBA coming straight from high school, being a kind of a game game breaker in that regard, a game changer, if you will. Giannis, similarly, nobody was sure he would become an MVP caliber player so soon in his career, if ever. Um, is there anything in terms of the evolution of a young talent like that that you find that's like-minded or similar in approach from either one of those guys? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, perspective. I, you know, and, and let's keep in mind that up and up into last season, um, Garnett had done working one-on-one -on, -one, uh, on the, on the yeah. floor. Uh, Milwaukee had imported him. They saw – they saw a connection there too. Um, the two things that stand out for me are the work ethic, which uh, nobody outworked Garnett uh, when he played. Certainly in the in the uh, you know first six, seven, eight years, and even beyond of his career. You know, if anything, people fret that he's going to leave too much of his game on any given night on the court two hours before tip off because he's out there in a in a full sweat, all lathered up, doing everything you know, all phases of his game um, on, a, on a nightly basis. So it's that. It's it's just the, the effort and energy. And then the other thing that I would say they share is a stubbornness. I mean, they they, mm. they determined they're going to be as good as they can possibly be. Um, they're not going to be deterred from that by anything or anyone. Um, it's, it's like they have a higher calling 
and and they sort of accept the responsibility that that has come with their unique skills and 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 package and um you know Garnett had a more of a bark to him uh in addition to his bite Giannis is a little bit more polite and low key and and maybe that process of functioning you know to a degree in a second language although Garnett had a few languages that he could throw in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and it has been uh, interesting for me to watch because I remember, I remember Garnett as a rookie, his very first training camp uh, practice, and, and mm-hmm. everything that I covered after that. And then I also you know, remember Giannis when he showed up and just the steps that have all, that have all happened. You know, the, the, the best possible vision for both those guys took place. And, you know, Garnett was sort of identified early in his career by – the big contract extension that he he um, sought from Minnesota, and that led to a lockout essentially. And, and I think Giannis headed towards a supermax if he if he chooses to take it from Milwaukee. Um, I think you'd have a hard time ever making that argument with him as well. Um, I don't know if the Middleton injury, you know, and, and however long he's out, impacts the Bucks' overall bottom line in terms of what they can do. Um, they've been so specific about how they've crafted that supporting group around Giannis. Is there a, is there something they would need, you think, whether, whether Middleton is in that mix or not, like you mentioned, come April, May, into June potentially. Is there something still missing on that roster, you think, as that has to be fixed via, you know, tr- the trade deadline or, or a, a signing late in the year when you can pick up a veteran who's maybe not playing? Is there something else they need to add to, to get over the hump? Or do you think as constituted, they could be a champion? Um, I mean, I'd love to see, you know, and who wouldn't for most teams. I mean, I'd love to see a, an athletic quick um, uh, wing who could, you know, could also do some shooting. Um, you know, I think that sometimes uh, their athleticism is, is in question, particularly now that they've added some older players. Um, you know, Matthews is not, is not as, uh, mobile as he once was and obviously Kyle Korver is a, a specialist you know largely now and so I, I would think you know if, that, if something like that was available on the shelf that's the first thing you go for when you walk in the store um you know that now I do think that of a hiccup and I and I think I, I'm, ha- I'm I'm fine con- you know classifying it as a hiccup with Middleton I think that sort of thing can be more of a positive than a negative as long as the bottom doesn't fall out while he's gone for three right. to four weeks. I think that you know, they have a fairly deep roster. One thing that, that takes a back seat when a team is a, is a top contender is developing some of your role players. You just don't, you don't have time for that. You, you know, you're playing to win. You want to maintain a, a grip on a top seed and, and, you know, maybe not top last year or match it, but come very close. But now this is going to this is going to give minutes to guys who haven't been getting a lot of minutes, like Sterling Brown and you know Dante Divincenzo, and and I think that you'd say, well, who cares if they get minutes and develop or not? But now that's that's pretty important stuff. And and anybody who remembers the Bucks last year know that Sterling, you know knew that Sterling Brown had um, you know some significant um, contributions at various points. And so I think when you have this sort of thing, it 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 kind of breaks up the grind, you know, of six months and 82 games and cast things in a little different light. And, you know, people have to rally around and work with different, um, you know, units. And, and I, I think that that variety 
uh, is one way to, to get through this slog. And so, like I say, if they don't go on some sort of a seven-game losing streak or, or drop, you know, eight out of 12 or something like that, I think, I think that it could be a, a helpful uh, period for them. Interesting, yeah, and that would be uncharacteristic of a of a Mike Budenholzer a coach team in in his tenure. You know, both when he had a, a solid roster in Atlanta and and certainly in his time in Milwaukee, his teams don't go on those extended swoons. Yeah, that, they didn't, that you find a lot of teams they didn't lose two games in a row last year until March. They did it once, and then of yeah. course they lost four in a row in the conference finals. Um, you know the one the one reservation I have, and you know what do I know? I mean, I, I'll never know as much as as Budenholzer has forgotten about basketball. But um, I, I'd like to see this team be a little more versatile in, in in dire times. Where okay, if your threes aren't hitting, you know, do you keep chucking them? I mean, you don't want to become Houston. Um, and and mm-hmm. once in a while, they'll all of a sudden you see Brook Lopez actually go into the low post and look to look <laughs> to catch the ball and look to actually score from down there, which is you know, Neanderthal basketball these days. But I, you know, I think they need to, to do that. And of course, you know, Giannis can get to the rim almost at will. So you do have that as a, as a fail safe, but sometimes it seems like if, if they're not making their threes and the other team is, is making their threes, there's a kind of a collective shrug and a, Oh, well, you know, it's that kind of night. And I don't know that, you know, you want to get in the habit of, of having those kinds of nights because, like I say, against the Raptors, they, they figured things out and they were able to stack those nights together. Yeah. Who, who's the most surprising team you've seen amongst those central division groups this, so far this season? Ash, I, I think a lot of them are what we thought they'd be in terms of the development and, and where they're at. Uh, but – I, I'll I'll be honest with you. I'll give you mine. Cleveland has been a pleasant surprise with John Beeline, you know, uh, Beeline coaching for the first time at the NBA level. You can certainly see his chops in in how they play fundamentally. Is there another team maybe that has caught your eyes as a, maybe a surprise, either positively or negatively? Well, you gave us mine too. I mean, you know, you can't you can't quibble with yeah. what Cleveland has done. Now it's early, and you wonder, you know, how's that going to play over the long haul when they start to meet some, you know some some pretty serious teams, you know, night after night and, and that sort of thing. It's refreshing to me to see a team you thought was going to be on the on the on the floor again this season and, and taking some baby steps. Um they're getting rewarded by adhering to what Beeline is is preaching and, you know, that makes that makes them even more avid listeners and um with Tristan Thompson sort of playing out of his mind right now and with him and Kevin Love working the offensive boards um, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a weapon. So yeah, I'm encouraged by that. I, I'm, I was a little disappointed in Indiana's start, but you know, they still don't have all the depot. Um, and I would say Detroit is, you know, it's a matter of Blake being sort of healthy and in the rotation and they've been patching it together at point guard. So that's a, um, that's a test for any team, uh, at, you know, at any stage in a, in a season. And the Chicago was supposed to be sort of, better than they started and um they really let an opportunity slip through their fingers against the lakers when they had them you know down 19 or something in in at united center um but you know they've, they've rallied a little bit they played well the very next night which to me was a you know a way of showing some spine after that kind of a horrible uh, loss and um you know then they, they took care of business 
in, in the most recent game of theirs I saw, which was against the Knicks, where you better take care of your business against the, uh, the Knicks. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a, that's a doom and gloom situation right now in, in New York. Yes. And, uh, you know, yeah. I went out there as much to, uh, you know, hold, hold two fingers to their, to their neck to, to see what sort of pulse was there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're getting by, but, um, you know, it's, uh, something, something is going to give there before too long. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. And we, every year, you know, by Thanksgiving, Ash, I'm looking around going, all right, who's the coach on the hottest yep. seat? You know, who's ready to push the button on their season already? I, I wouldn't say that the Knicks weren't one of the teams I was considering, but I'm, you know, I am a bit surprised that it's come undone as quickly as it has. Um, I, you know, and I don't know what the what their remedy is. I mean, right. I think everybody's assuming there's some coach out there or something that fixes it. It's been so bad for so long. Now. Well, I saw Mike Dunleavy Sr. was uh, sitting courtside last night at United Center, and um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that if I'm David Fisdale, I don't want to see any former NBA head coach at any of my games, <laughs> lest he be scouting um, for, you know, a potential job opportunity. I, yeah, I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that the, the problem, you can, have, you can have feelings about David Fisdale and, and they may or may not be legit. But I think in this case, um, you cannot separate him from management of that team. This, you put together a team where you basically tell the world, this is a placeholder team. You know, these guys are all on short-term deals. We're going to have a different roster a year from now, you, you overload it with power forwards. What do I watch the Bulls do against the Knicks? They go out with a three-guard lineup to choose them up because the Knicks' backcourt is in, is, is in such disarray. So, yeah, you got a bunch of guys that can play, you know, in the front court, but um, that's not going to get it done, and, and not in the NBA 2019. And um, I, I can't hold the coach primarily responsible. You built a team that you were telling people, wait, and now what? You get excited. That's fine. You get excited about the first few weeks of the season, but all of a sudden you're in a position where you expect or demand more, and you're going to make a coaching change. That to me is 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 it's irrational. But that's something yeah. we've we've seen time and again from that franchise in New York. And um, you know, even if they fall two three games behind the Nets, that's going to make them crazier than ever. Like I said, it's one of those things where you shouldn't be surprised given their recent history. Um, but but here we are again with the Knicks. Ash, how many – Mikhail and I, were, you, your name came up Monday night. We were working, <laughs> doing a doubleheader on NBA TV. And, you know, you know better than anybody. Mikhail, you don't have to wind him up. Oh. He starts telling stories at like 4 o'clock. And in, at 2 in the morning, he's still rolling. Um, <laughs> he was just talking about how many years he's been – plugged into the league, either as a player, a coach, for an office person, whatever. How many years is this for you overall covering the league? Well, I remember um, the first the first um, NBA game that I uh, – well, the first NBA game I covered, I was actually still in college. It was the All-Star game in, in 77 in Milwaukee. And the Bucks were nice enough to credential this uh, – you know, Jimmy Olsen, campus newspaper <laughs> reporter. I even had an MVP vote. Everything was so simple back then. Wow. And I voted for the wrong guy. Um, I still say I was right. But, <laughs> and I'll tell Paul Westfall until one of us is in the grave that uh, that he should have been the MVP. But they gave it to this this, this upstart named Julius Irving. Um, yeah. And uh, But then after that, it was just a couple of years out of school where I, I uh, covered uh, Bob Lanier's trade. 
to the Bucks. Um, I was working um, in Beloit, Wisconsin, for a little newspaper. And then I got to Milwaukee, and I started to do a lot of feature stories in sports. So I was around those Bucks teams of uh, Nelly and Marcus Johnson and Sidney Moncrief. Uh, then I was writing a column there, and so I was traveling on the road when they were in the playoffs and could not beat the Sixers and the Celtics in the same postseason, and that was sort of their, their lot in life. So, I mean, you go back to the... I would say consistently the early 80s, you know, about the time Mikhail right, uh, right. arrived on the scene. And uh, then I, I I took a job in Minnesota before they even had an NBA team. I didn't know when I was going to be around. But within a couple of years, they got an expansion squad. I wouldn't say it was an NBA team for a while. But, um, <laughs> but so I was around that a lot, Bill Musselman and, and his crazy ways. And, uh, you know, and, and from then on, I've, I've been around this thing um pretty steady for the last uh 30 30 years or so right yeah we, we the reason i asked is mikhail was was asking me you know he, you know he's like i feel i feel like i'm out of touch the load management had come up um you know and he said he felt he started starting to feel like now what he thought the old old guard felt like when he broke into the league like it's such a shift in how things are done the the sensibilities and the attitudes of people younger generations compared to the older he said it, it's just now hitting them nah. all these years later how how much of a gap there is between the, the values the basketball huh. values i guess you say of players then and now it's and it's strange i mean it's funny hearing him talk about it but it's also interesting watching him reconcile what what was done in one generation compared to what's being done now. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that stuff changes. And, and you know, when you've been around something for a long time or you are um, chronologically, you can't deny it, you're getting older. Yeah, you know, it's good to have that filter and, and remind yourself, you know, now, is this just a function of I remember when, you know, or is this some sort of a universal yeah, truth exactly. that ought to be applied now? And, and even then, ought to be, you know, you can want what you want, but if it's not, you know, you have to, to adapt. I mean, part of it, you know, to me, part of it is like, um, you know, you say when, when, as your kids get older, they're amazed at how much smarter you become, you know? And, and, (laughs) and, you know, so, so I think part of it, I think that people will see, but when they're immersed in it, I mean, load management and taking time off, I've covered coaches and general managers who would, um, you know, they, they lose their lunch over this sort of stuff. And, and I've had co- flip saunders, the late flip saunders used to, he was a big believer in, um, you get your rest the other 21 hours of the day or those 24 hours in between games, things like that, you know, where, all right, yeah. peel back a little bit on practice time, take care of your body. Don't burn the candle at both ends. Um, things such as that, mm-hmm. where, all right, when you go out for, for, you know, the, the two and a half, three hours of a game night, you know, his, his philosophy was does 32 minutes really mean much, you know, make a difference compared to 37 minutes, those five minutes when you're all lathered up and, and, and in the competition with the adrenaline. And, you know, so that's, that's a lot how it's been now giving guys games off versus practices off. I, I haven't really, sort of plumb the depths of that. Although I did I remember last year where I, I saw that coaches would talk about, you give a guy a game off, 
you basically give him a whole day off because now he doesn't have to mentally right. get ready. It's not a matter of showing up and in the locker room before the game, you you say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit you out tonight, or you know, it's like you plan on that, and and so you know, it is more, I guess, restful or or whatever it is, or you know, uh, for your body. But it, yeah, I mean, outlooks do change, and and uh, um, just as team building has changed from a general manager's art to you know something the players want to have a heavy hand in. Uh, with your your rivals for all star spots, you know the three best, you know uh, players in the East maybe wanting to play together as opposed to you know beat on each other. I mean, yeah, that that stuff does change, but um, I think there's probably the best in you know as it is in most uh, walks of life, some collaboration and compromise where you you add some of this but you don't allow out you know some of that um, might be the uh, the best way to go. I mean, you know, really. I mean, when I was talking about Budenholz or and and the Bucks, it's like, okay, we get it. You're a you're a, you're a one you know one in four out kind of a team with Giannis, you know, penetrating and you know. But when that's not working, when those shots aren't dropping, what else you got? And maybe some of that's old school. And and you know, old school isn't all bad until it's actually officially legislated out. Like hand checking or, <laughs> you know, close lines in the postseason and things like that. Exactly. No, that's, so that's, that's very interesting. Ash. Man, listen, great to talk to you as always, my friend. I'll, uh, I'll definitely see you down the road. If, if nowhere else, I know we will be convening in, in your city um, for all-star weekend this year. Uh, yeah. I dread that for you uh, <laughs> because there's nothing, nothing, uh, nothing a guy hates more than having all-star in his town. Well, that's right. You know, I thought about that, and that was particularly so when you when you work for newspapers because you know the, right. you don't want <laughs> stories breaking that aren't you know uh, first on the front page of your own sports section. That's embarrassing. I mean, for, right. you know, especially like playoff situations because that's when stuff really matters. All stars a little more like you know guys will pop off talking about something, and you can't be everywhere. But now I'm part of a great team, you know, with NBA.com, and that that <laughs> website is published, you know. Up I don't know what in the, in the ether somewhere. So it's not really my town. I just want to tell everybody I'm not picking up any checks just cause it's here. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Well, thanks right. Ash. I appreciate you. Anytime man. Seiko. Happy to go on. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me. Never fails. Steve Ashburner always dropping knowledge, hitting uh, all areas of the league, not just, what he sees on a daily basis, but certainly providing some of that perspective of three plus decades uh, in the business and watching this league from, like I mentioned earlier, from the seventies all the way to now, you're talking about a guy who's seen, uh, you know, this league grow and become what it has. He's one of those few guys with that perspective. Appreciate you as always, Steve Ashburner joining us here on Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to Seiku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Loops fans. <laughs>